‫למצוא לתמונותיו של עגלה פשוטה ‫הרואה בשדה, ‫שהיא קובעת כמו ‫ומעניין מדברי הקדוש ברוך הוא ‫לאברהם ביחס לשילוחה של הגר, ‫דומה שלמדו חז"ל דבר שונה. ‫אבל אנחנו מדברים ‫כשאנחנו מדברים על שרה, ‫כשיש when they are finally in the tent together, because for many years they were in separate tents, and Yishmael is in a tent with, with Yitzchak, and Yishmael is badly influencing Yitzchak, Sarah turns around to Abraham and says, you've got to throw Yishmael out. And Abraham doesn't want to. And there is a, there is a lot of friction between Abraham and Sarah regarding what to do with Yishmael. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu, intervenes and he says to Avram, everything that Sarah says you have to do. There's absolute intervention here from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And what they learned in the Midrash was, So what Rabbi Amitav wants to do is contrast these, these two comments with Sarah Atumima with Shini Do they have to be contrasting or can they go together? Hakoshi b'midrash sehu kafu reshit im omnam hatchunot ha-mafyanot el-Sarah hayu hatumimo v'pashtut. If Sarah was so pashtut, if she's such a simple person, keitzad yitachen shayta neviyah gdola. How could she be such an incredible person? Neviyah, when we know that Nevoah is, is, is to do with Seichel, it's not to do with Tumimut, it's to do with intellectuality and to get to a high level. That the Navi has to be involved in things that aren't simple, they're not Pashuk. So Sarah was a Neviyah, she was more of a Neviyah than Avram, one Midrash says. And the other Midrash says she was Tumimah. How do we reconcile these two things? The Rambam talks about the, intellectuality, the intellectual capacity that is required for someone in Nevoah. He writes as follows, Yimashech po'otan ha'inyanim ha'gadolim ha'rechokim v'tiyeh lo da'an nechona lahavinu lahasig v'hu mitkadesh v'olechu poresh mital ke'klal am olchim b'machshachay ha'zman v'olechu mezarez ha'asmo u'melamei b'nashor sh'lo tiyeh lo machshava klal b'echad mitvarim b'tailim. The way the Rambam describes a Navi is intellectual supremacy. That isn't the, the, the basic stereotype of someone who is tamim, of someone who is just pure and simple. אלא שגם בלא תיאור שרה כעגלה תמימה, כיסד הסיקו חזה מכך שכתוב כל אשר תאמה אליך שרה, שמה בקולה שהייתה היא נביאה גדולה מאברהם. Besides that, Just because God says to Avram that he has to listen to his wife in an educational debate, why does that mean she's a better prophet than him? Why? She could just be more perceiving of a human being. Wives are often more perceiving of their children than the husbands are. You know that. You twist your dad around your little finger all the time with your crying and your moaning. and your you, you know how to get your dad to do what you want, but he has no voting powers at home. Mom, mom has the vote. He has perhaps... Observer status. 
Mum's in charge of the decision making. So why can't she be perceptive without being called a navi? Why does she have to be a navia? Because God said you've got to listen to her voice. This wasn't about a navua. It was about understanding the dynamic at home between Yishmael and Yitzchak. So we essentially have two questions. One midrash calls her a tumima, a, a pure, uh, a pure person, whereas the other midrash says that she has navua greater than Avraham Avinu, which 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 doesn't deflect from purity, but it does suggest complexity. And secondly, why does the midrash conclude <coughs> that Sarah is a navia just because she knows what to do with Ishmael, and because what she's saying is correct with regards to Ishmael? We know from the Torah that God speaks to Abram time and again, time and again. Every Pasha, God is speaking to Abram. <coughs> the only time God speaks to Sarah is critique. When Sarah laughs because she's told she's going to have a child, and God says, Why did you laugh? He says, I didn't laugh. He said, You did laugh. It's a negative uh, discussion between Akonish Baruchu and Sarah. She laughs at being told she's going to have a child. God is not happy with her laugh. And then she denies the laugh and he, she is critiqued on the laugh. So Nire, last paragraph, There is a lesson being learned here, which I think is, is, is an important lesson. We'll get there in a minute. Sarah Gdolami Abraham, it wasn't in every component. Things don't have to be black and white. Things don't have to be that if she is a better Nabiyah than Abraham, it's in every single element. Rav Amitav wants to suggest there was a specific facet of Sarah Imena that was greater than Abraham. There's no doubt, textually, there's no doubt that God spoke to Abraham much more and he spoke to Sarah. But Nevoah isn't only about intellectuality. It's not only about communication. It's about kirva. It's about closeness with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Tmimut that Sarah had, I'm going to try and explain what that is, actually brought her closer to Abraham. From that facet of Nebiyot, she was closer to God than Abraham. What is Chochmah and what is Tumimut? Rabbi Nachman, Rebrezid, has a story. It's not here the story. He has a story where he talks about the Chacham and the Tam, two very, very different people. The Chacham is in a complex intellectual who is never happy in his life because... He's always got a question about something. He's always negating something. And the time is someone who simply accepts things for what they are. Not an idiot, as sometimes uh, suggested when we're learning the Haggadah. Not someone who's simple, but someone with an incredible amount of humility. The, the essence of, of Anav... I'll, let me give you an example, because I don't think that Tam and Chacham are necessarily... Two different people. I think Tam and Chacham can be different stages in our life. I can speak about myself. That's a person I, I apparently know best. When I was your age or just a bit younger from your age, if I went to a shir and I was told in a shir that this is what the Midrash says and this is this is this is what happened and this is what Chazal say, I would simply nod and lap it up. 
uh, I would I would just enjoy it and 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 lap it up. Everything was there was no contesting anything that any of the Rishonim said, any of the Acharonim said. When people told you something, I believe them. Uh, that's what a tummy is. A tummy accepts things at face value, accepts them for what they are, doesn't get complex and, and involved and, uh, and, and get themselves into knots. Later on in life, I find, I found, that you get this chokhmah. The chokhmah comes from a wisdom of life, but it also messes things up to a degree. And uh, an element of cynicism enters your whole being. Where does the cynicism come from? The cynicism comes from disappointment. The longer you live in life, the more experiences you have. And the more experiences you have in life, the more you are exposed to disappointment. When we're young, we live in an ideal life. If our parents have, have, have done, and I think most of our parents have done what they were meant to do, we have been protected and, and we've been protected from real life. We never paid bills. Uh, if you lived, I had a childhood where I had no idea if my parents had difficulties at home. I was unaware of them. I'm talking about financial difficulties. I was unaware any issue that my mother and father were dealing with. I had no idea of, at all. I grew up as a naive young child, which I think is the way it should be. Uh, they didn't sit down with me and share with me financial challenges or family, familial broigases. Nothing. I, I knew nothing. Uh, was aware of nothing. And therefore, my viewpoint of life until quite a late age was a very, very naive but pure viewpoint of life. I trusted people for what they were. Uh, I accepted people for what they were. Uh, Tamim. And therefore, I accepted what I was told for what it was. I never questioned. I never, I, just what it was. And that, that's a wonderful way of living. Uh, as you meet disappointment in life, as you are let down by people or let down by yourself, you tend to lose trust, lose faith in, in other people and in situations. And, and the whole approach to life can become very, very complex. I think that, that certainly has happened to me in certain, on certain occasions where, I don't know, the first time I ever came across this, I was, um, I was working for Bene Akiva. And the fact money, it comes up with money. It always comes up with money. I, I was working for Bene Akiva and uh, a man applied for a, for a scholarship for his daughter for camp. And I just maybe said, okay, he needs money, give him money. But because I was a young guy, I was only 23, just a couple of years ago now, I, I, I was a young guy and uh, I, I, I remember I had to take all my decisions to a board of adults. And I remember it very clearly. I came with this man's name. I gave him, I gave him a sheet. And I said, this man needs a full scholarship. And I, I said, yes. And the entire room of adults burst out laughing, which was awkward because I hadn't made a joke. And uh, I realized that they must be laughing at me. And I got very embarrassed. And I said, well, what's the joke? And then one of the adults was kind enough to share with me, this man who you're proposing we give a full scholarship to, he owns a yacht. And I remember total despondence. Total despondence that a person would take advantage of me and my naivety would try and get, take money out of charity when the man owns a yacht. My 
other lesson in life came when I actually phoned the man up. And I said to him, can you explain to me why you asked for a scholarship? And the man spent the next 20 minutes explaining to me how hard it was to up, upkeep a yacht. And that he was totally justified in asking for a scholarship. Do you know how much it costs to keep a yacht? And you're, you're staring at the man down the phone and saying, this money is for people who don't have bread at home. It's not for people who have yachts. And he keeps coming back at me. And at the end of that conversation, the effect that conversation has on you, even though it's not logical, it's not that every single person you meet is a cheat. But you start to lose faith. And when it happens again, you lose faith. When it happens again, you lose faith. Then you just don't believe. And, and your chokhmat chayim, your wisdom of life, your experience of life, is pogea on your tumimut. It takes away from your tumimut. I went to see a rabbi that I go to see very often. It's a very special rabbi in Tel Aviv. A very special rabbi. He, he, he held my hand once and told me my children's names. He's a very, very special man. Uh, he actually told me my children's names, all of their names, first, second, and third names. Uh, I go to speak to him sometimes with my wife, and I asked him, is it possible if you were a tam and you became a chacham to become a tam again? And he looked at me, and was very disappointed, he said, I, I don't think so which was this, this story of Rabbi Nachman has taken a, a lot of my time up. What we're trying to say here is that, the, that Sarah was her tmimut. Now, what we will normally make fun of this in a, in a social climate is someone is naive. We got to someone who say that used to be a very unfunny joke. I heard that gullible was taken out of the dictionary. And so I said, really? Yeah, see, you didn't laugh. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, that used to be whatever. So the disadvantage you feel that if you're Tamim, if you believe something that, that, that is said to you all the time, is that people are going to take you for a ride, people are going to cheat you, uh, and you're going to come at a loss. But then I'm asking myself the question, really? Have you really lost? If you remain Tamim, if you remain innocent, if you remain pure, why have you lost? Why is it better to, to have a cynical viewpoint of life? Uh, a complex viewpoint of life that everything is complex, everything needs to be discussed, everything needs to be turned over as opposed to someone says, that's what Rashi says that's what Rashi says, that's what he says that's what he says, <clears throat> I don't question Rashi because Rashi learned Chumash without Rashi uh, and, and I, I learned Chumash with Rashi, so why do I question Rashi, why should I question, why should I question Rambam, that to me more that I once had is something that, that I, I ache for so this is Chazal b'Midrash Melamdim Otanu Second Paragraph Shevesuk Hanavua Hazeh Hayicholet Liklot Etanachom Rasuim Ba'Ofen Tamim Pashut Loich Chakmuk Yuteret Haytasara Gedolami Abraham The ability to just see something and accept it the way it was without any thoughts, without any suspicions, without any complexities of turning it round <coughs> and 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 redirecting it and cynicism and sarcasm uh, brought Sarah closer to God. Imagine if someone says something to you and you just believe them. You just believe them without questioning the, the amount of time, the amount of suspicion that is in a room that, that you know, when I used to have Dr. Yocheve's job, I was even accused by a girl once of, of making security limitations because I didn't want the girls to go out on a Monday night. So, so I told them that there was a terrorist in town. So the girl said I made up the story. So I, I said, if you really believe that that's the kind of person I am, I think you should leave the school. I mean, I'm, I'm some kind of 
evil doer. I, there was a, there was an actual security scare. I stood in front of the school. I said, "We, we the security scare. You we're staying in tonight." And she was so frustrated because she wasn't going to get her pizza. She came up to me and said, "You made it up because you don't want us to go out." And <clears throat> I said, "Wow! Oh my word! Oh my word! That's worse than the rumors that I look at films at night." Uh, of, of, of you coming out of your apartments, you know that, that's even worse than that rumor. You know, the cynicism: if your if your life is so suspicious of every single thing that everyone's saying all the time, how can you live life? How can you live life? You can't live life. You know that, that you know if you come from America or England or Africa or Australia or Canada or Switzerland, wherever you come from, um, I'm sure you have the sugars in your countries of conspiracies. If you if you if you speak about Dallas and JFK, books upon books have been written about who killed JFK, and, and books in this country have been written about who killed Yitzhak Rabin. And every time something on Corona, conspiracy, Corona, they start speaking conspiracy, I leave the room. I can't stand it. I just can't listen to it. I, I thought people die of Corona because everything's a conspiracy. The whole way is this a conspiracy, this is a conspiracy, then they pretend it. Yeah. I can't do it. I, I, I was in a donor's house once and they, were, they started talking about the conspiracy and I was about to burst and Jeremy kicked me under the table. We'll lose money if you give your opinion here. Just listen to the conspiracy and nod. <laughs> I don't know what a conspiracy is or isn't, but I do know that if you live your life thinking that everything is a conspiracy, your wife, your life isn't worth living. It's just not a life. You just don't believe anyone says ever. You're always reading between the lines. Everything is controversial. Everything is a question. You can't live your life in that way. It's not to say Abraham is also called a Tamim, but the Tamimut of Sarah says Rav Amital made her an incredibly close person to God because she just believed. And that, and that belief that brings down barriers. You understand that every time you don't believe in someone, every time you don't agree with someone, it creates another barrier. Uh, and we're interested in, in removing barriers. In, in any relationship, we're interested in removing barriers. The fact that we spent such intimate time together through such a crisis has removed tons of barriers. Uh, my closest relationships with students have been in years where there have been big security issues, or the corona year where, where we were here together all the time. The more intimate, the more true we are with each other, the less barriers there are. The less barriers there are, uh, the more Kesha there is. But he adds something else here, Rav Amitav, which I, I want to tell you, Baal Peh, that he adds here about Sarah Imenu. And this is what I spoke about at my mother's Hesped, when I wrote about, I wrote about my, my, my dad made a book. Um, he made a book about my mother and, and he printed certain Hespedim. When we look at our, our Imahot, it's, it's really interesting because you don't really need, you know, I, I, I'm not a feminist, but I run a girl's school. I'm not a feminist, meaning I, I don't believe that I believe in the value of women and who they are. I don't need to have them do what men do just to prove who they are. I don't, I don't believe in that. I, it's, it's been in Judaism since the word goes. Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, Valea, you're looking there uh, and you can see that these are the people who decided they fixed they fixed the future. They were the people who made the decisions, really. So they weren't the front people. Who cares? You know, Jeremy's also not a front person, and he does so much. He organizes so many things. So his name isn't in lights all the time, but he organizes this, he's treasurer of this, he's governor of this. He carries to get things done, and they got things done. But Rabbi Mittal pointed out something very interesting. If you look through the psukim with Sarah, this is just the psukim. It's different by Rivka. 
and it's different by Rachel. But if you look through the psukim with, with Sarah, you won't really find that she did anything at all. She really didn't. Let's run through it very quickly. What did Sarah Imenu do? She married Avram. We weren't invited to the wedding. The Torah doesn't tell us about the wedding. We are into, it's a fait accompli. They're already a married couple in Lech Lecha. Sarai Ishto. And, and Rashi tells us that they did Giyot together. It's not in the Psukim that they did Giyot together. They went down to Egypt again. She was a bit of a korban there. She was his sister and, and, and not his wife. There, there was a scandal there. They came out of there. She's not really involved in the destruction of Saddam. She's not involved in the four and five kings war. She's not involved in the Akeda. She's not involved in anything at all. Yet these are the best psukim describing an Av or an Ima in the entire Torah. And Rabbi Mittal says something which was so important to me. It's such an important message. I don't know whether you're at that place, but it was important for me because when I heard the message, I was at that place. Sometimes in life you get the impression that the only way that you can achieve or do something is if it's big, massive. And if it's not massive, it doesn't count. It has to be something massive. It has to be something of consequence. I have to be the head of an organization. I have to be the director. I have to be the prime minister. I have to be a politician. I have to be in a position where my achievement isn't an achievement. Ladies, it is so not true. Rav Amitav says the greatness of Sarah Imenu is that she was a regular, good Jewish woman who, who led from within. And that's all. That's what she did. She, she, she has no claim to fame. She did, wasn't involved in the Akeda. She wasn't involved in Lech Lecha directly. She went with her husband. She wasn't involved in Brit Mila. She wasn't involved in any of the stories that Abraham is involved. We've got loads of stories about Abraham Avinu in the Torah and in the Midrash. We have no stories whatsoever about Sarah, but she was the greatest of women. The achievements that we have in our lives are not simply about the status that we gain, doctor, professor, it used to be, it used to be the most honorable thing to be the mother of a family. And in certain societies, it's turned into a, a dirty word. There, you, there is, I can tell you ladies, and you know this, you know this anyway, there is no greater achievement in life than bringing up children. There is no greater achievement in life there is no harder task in life than marriage and, and educating children, especially today when children are exposed to so many things at such a young age and they have control over things that their parents don't even know that they can use. And it's almost a dirty word now. You, you, not, you mustn't get married, mustn't have children. The reason that France is 45% Muslim is because regular Christian people don't have children anymore. They don't have families. Religious Muslims do, and therefore Belgium is 60%. And it happens in every country. The only reason it hasn't happened in this country is because the Faredi and the religious Zionist community have a lot of children as well. So the demographics work slightly differently. But family is like a dirty word. Sarah was an Ima. She was an Ima who was directing the future of Am Israel. But what Rav Amitav wants to stress in this essay is that her greatness is her being a good Tamim human being. But sometimes we don't have to, shouldn't take away from aspirations of achievement, but, but there should be an understanding here that to be a regular good balabait is an achievement, it's a good thing. I still remember, and now it's even more, 
it's even more poignant now. I remember when my wife's younger sister got married and I, they asked me to say Sheva Brachas and to, to speak at the Sheva Brachas. At the time, I was doing my, my last Rabbanut Mivchan in Shabbat, which is a very, very big sugya. Shabbat is a, it's, it's the biggest smicha exam. Covers a lot of ground. It's a whole chilek of the Mishnah Bura with Rishonim, Achorim, and the Gemaras. And I was right in the middle of that, of becoming a Rav and being a Rav and being a Rav. And something just caught me. I was sitting at the Sheva Brachas and I looked around the table. My wife has, uh, she has um, four sisters and a brother. Four sisters and a brother. Three sisters and a brother. They're five. No, they're five. Three sisters and a brother. And, and already at that stage, I, I was able to look around the table and see a family of B'nai Adam. And I remember that's what I spoke about the Sheva Brachas. I said, you know, we, we have our aspirations. I was totally caught up in smicha, passing an exam and status or whatever. I remember saying there that, that that's not the Ika. The Ika isn't the status. If you can, there can be no greater accomplishment than looking around a, a room and seeing the family that you have put together. There's no greater accomplishment, whatever they tell you. Not a Harvard degree, not a whatever. There's, there's no greater accomplishment than having a good marriage and, and, and having a family. There is, there is no greater thing. And that's what he says is the greatness of Sarah Imenu. Uh, and, and that makes her as great as anyone else. Her Tumimut with Sadechad. And the fact she's just a regular person who does regular stuff. And, and, and people shouldn't be put off by that. You have to, it has to be big. It has to be great. There have to be 100 people. Have to be, sometimes I speak to people, you know, because we've got, can they not only got a big school? People phone me all the time. Bring your girls to this. Bring your girls to that. And, and I, I put them through the grill. I ask them every time, what is it? What's the educational value to this? What is it? Because if you just want another 100 girls so you can take a photo, so that you can say that 300 people at the event, and Midrash Aroba is easy because it gets you a third of your people. I'm not coming. I'm not wasting my girls' time so that you can have a photo with 100 girls in it. I want to know what you're doing. I want to know what the program is. But no, it's big. It's big. It's going to be big. It's, I don't care. I'm not interested in big. I'm interested in truth. I'm interested in, I, I don't care about big. The work that we do here, we don't do ground work. We just, it's girl, it's girl after girl. Why do you need to go? It's girl after girl. It's the work of ants. It's, it's, the, work of, uh, it's the work of individuals. It's not grandiose. It's not one event. It's working one after one. That's the first comment about Sarah. Go to the Tivot Shalom. I want to now connect Sarah with Sarah's death. Now, you know the classic, the classic story of Sarah's death. Sarah gave birth to Yitzhak when she was 90. And this I alluded to last week. She is 127 when she dies. And the Midrash suggests that she dies because of the Akedah. You know that Midrash, right? The Midrash that says that she dies because of the Akedah. She gets a heart attack and she dies. And therefore we proved last week that Yitzchak was 37 at the Akedah, right? Because she dies 127. He was born when she was 90. Have a look at this comment from the Nitivot Shalom. I'm not so interested in the comment from the Nitivot Shalom, but I want it as an introduction to this Eish Kodesh. After this Eish Kodesh, ladies, you're not going to go anywhere tonight. After this Eish Kodesh. This Eish Kodesh is, you're, I don't know, it's lucky most of these seats have, like, hands, because otherwise you, you might even fall off your seat and we'll all be in Terem. But, but I have to go to the Tivot Shalom before I go to the Eish Kodesh. Tivot Shalom says, 
לולי דמיסטפינה היה אפשר לומר על פי זה עניין ותמות שרה שלאחר שראה השטן כי אברהם אבינו נתגבר גם על הניסיון הזה We're going to deal with this midrash in detail in a moment שרה saw that אברהם was about She saw that אברהם was about to kill יצחק חבל תחבולה חדשה כדי להכשילו שידע השטן כי הגיע זמנה של שרה להסתלק מן העולם It was her time to die, so the Satan came to Sarah and told her that Abraham was about to kill Yitzchak. These are the words, He was almost killed, but he wasn't killed, and she died. Now she was meant to die at that time, but the, the Satan came at that time to make it look like she died because of the Akedah. That it should look like she died because of the Akedah. The Midrash is trying to explain, or the Tibot Shalom is trying to explain why the Pasuk says, Shnei Chayei Sarah. It says she was 127 years, and it says, Shnei Chayei Sarah, that she lived her full life. She lived a complete life. You, thought, you shouldn't think that she died because of the Akedah. But you might have thought she died because of the Akedah, because her death was juxtaposed to the Akedah. So let's read on. וזאת כדי שיחשבו כל העולם וכן אברהם שפרחה נשמתם לאחמר בסורת העקידה. It looks that if you look at it on, on the surface that she died when she heard bad news. Older people, they hear bad things or good things. If they're shot, they collapse. I once surprised my grandma. So you're outside tonight, my grandma. I once surprised my grandma. I turned up in England and, and she opened the door and she saw me and she pashut collapsed. She just... She just collapsed. I never ever surprised her again. Uh, she just she just fell back. She fainted. She said, "Oh, David, attention!" She just collapsed. Uh, so people can. So so it looks like if you're learning if you're learning the Akeda like Rashi, like Ramban, like like most of our Mafalshim, that Sarah died because of the Akeda. She no, she didn't die, Baruch Hashem. She did. She just collapsed. So. That's not why it's on your side. Now he says like this. The Nativo Shalom, this is a long essay. He's dealing with the Pasuk we say every night in Mariv. The Pasuk is, We should remove the Satan, the Yetzir, from before and after. He wants to say that not only is there a Yetzir that stops us doing things, Once we've done them, once we've overcome and we've actually done them, they might get us to regret doing them. I did a good act and then it makes me regret doing it. I'm sorry I did it. I'm sorry I got up for Dabney. I'm upset that I did it. There is a yesa after a maaset. So he wants to say that Tivot Shalom, that the Satan, even though he couldn't stop Avram from doing what he did, he wanted Avram to regret his act. So what did he do? He tried to make it look that Sarah died because of the Akedah. And so that Avram would regret in retrospect doing the Akedah because if that's what caused Sarah's death, he's very upset about it. Then Avram would regret retrospectively that he did the Akedah. If Sarah died because of the Akedah, then Avram would regret. And the Satan wanted to regret. I'm sure you've had this many times in your life where you've done something good and you've overcome something, but then you've been sorry that you did it and, and it's kind of spoiled the good action. But she did not die in the middle of her life. It had come, her time had come to die. 
that's why the Torah enumerates the piece we saw before that God says it enumerates the life of Sarah because you should know that even if she lived a Pashut life, she was a great person. You don't have to be a great person to be a great person in our words. That was the way Rabbi Amitav saw it. The Timotron doesn't see it that way. He says that the, the years of Sarah were enumerated here and were underlined to underline the fact that she died in her time and it wasn't because of the Akeda and Abraham didn't fall for it. He didn't regret the Akeda because apparently she died because of the Akeda. That's when she was meant to die. And that if you look in the Sukim in, in the beginning of Chaye Sarah, the first pasuk says that Avram came to spotless Sarah Kota to eulogize Sarah and to cry for her. The cuff in the word Kota is a small cuff. It's a small cuff. The Balaturim says that Avram didn't cry a lot. And no one knows what he means. What, what do you mean he didn't cry a lot? This is his word. Why didn't he cry a lot? Well, why would it be bad for Avram to cry a lot? But that's what the Balaturim says, who I love a lot, the Satam, he doesn't explain why. He says a small cuff, the Liv Kota, is to say that when Abram came to the funeral of Sarah at Hebron, he didn't cry a lot. And the Tibot Shalom says, now I'm telling you why I didn't cry a lot. Because he want, didn't want people to think that there was regret for the Akedah. Because she died in juxtaposition to the Akedah. And then people would have seen Abram crying. They might have misinterpreted that cry, not for his love of his wife, but his regret that he was the indirect cause of her death. Interesting. It's an interesting piece. It's not really what I want. The, the fundamental ethos of Natibot Shalom is that Sarah died in her time. You've got to hear this H. Kodesh in the context of where we are and where we've been and what we've seen and what we've heard. The context, historical context of the H. Kodesh, this is Chaye Sarah 1940. It's 1940, there's no ghetto. Chaye Sarah means it's around this time of the year, it's October 1940. November 1940, maybe, the Germans have just taken control of Warsaw. It's the first time that Piazesna has said anything since his son and daughter-in-law and mother-in-law were killed in the Blitzkrieg. They were killed Sukkot time. This is about a month later. He hasn't said a word since they died. There's nothing. You have Bereshit. I think, I don't even, I think there's no Lech Lecha, there's nothing in Lech Lecha, I don't think there's anything in Noah. It, it goes straight to Chaye Sarah, and he doesn't say anything for four weeks. He's dealing with, with absolute, there's no one left at home. Right? He, his son was his only son. Elimelech was his only son. You saw Elimelech's grave in Warsaw, right? Elimelech's son was his only son and daughter-in-law. And his mother-in-law, he's got his wife's dead already. He's got nothing left. And then the essay is written in that context. Now, remember what I said already. Natibot Shalom says that Sarah died in her time. She died of age. And the Satan tried to trick Avram that it was because of the Akeda. Hear this, Eish Kodesh ladies. Look, my hair's going in when I see these things. So, look, it's just... My body is like, oh my God. V'navinna mamur ameze lanu 
שבכל הצדקניות הנזכרות בתורה לא נאמר כל כך גדלות כמו השרה. Same question. No one mentions anywhere else גדלות like they do by Sarah. So we have Rav Amital's answer, we have the Tivot Shalom's answer. Listen to Rav Kanoa Maskama Mepiat Sesnam. Hashem Yikom Damo. Ve'od ze yoter pele shigam ba'avram avinu she'ema lekana, lekama shana b'chol klal. Later on even we hear about Avram's years, it doesn't say this. So Rashi Piresh Gamken shenirmaz she'aya b'lochet. Says he was b'lochet, u'mikom akom lo chaza, pasuk pambe doma shnei chayei Avram. It only says shnei chayei Sarah. What's so great about Sarah? What did Sarah do? What is so amazing about Sarah? So we're just going to digress a second. Omnam. Ita b'sefer ha-kodesh mo'ov ha-shemesh. The mo'ov ha-shemesh was also Kolonimus Kalman. In fact, he is named after the original Kolonimus Kalman who's buried in the big Krakow cemetery, not the Ramah cemetery. Listen to this, ladies. Listen to what Rav Menachem Mendel said. The Gemara says the word Brit is used with salt. And the word Brit is used with Yisurin when we go through suffering. Ma melach memateket habasar, just as salt makes meat edible, af yisurin memarkin kol avonotav shel adam, so suffering will get rid of someone's sins, make you into a better person. Dahainu, but then Mar Benachem Medu Mirimanov adds, but let's remember, ma melach. If you put too much salt on the meat, you can't eat it. It becomes inedible. Too much suffering will destroy a human being. That's what Rav Kolodimus Kalmani's first words. So that Midrash, and what Reb Menachem Mendel Miriminov says from that Midrash. So you make meat good by adding salt. And, and people are improved by suffering, by challenges. But if you add too much salt to the meat, you destroy it. And if people are made to suffer too much, you destroy them. I was in a shiva house yesterday afternoon. The father of Mickey Mark was killed in a terrorist act seven years ago. His son Shlomi was killed in a motorcycle accident two years later. His nephew was killed on Simchat Torah fighting in one of the kibbutzim. And his son Pedaya was killed last week fighting in Gaza. And you're sitting with that family. And you're thinking towards Shammai, it's too much menach. It's too much salt. And there are times when you look at our history, it's just too much salt. 
too much to it says a Rebbe can say, I can say it too. Doesn't mean I love God less. It doesn't mean I'm not less. It means too much soul. It's too much soul. And on top of that, we have to then the moans and groans of people who don't even know where Palestine is about, about innocent people who raped and, and attacked our, our, our citizens. And we're not allowed to defend ourselves. There are innocent people there, but we don't have to just die, then we have to be told it didn't happen, then we have to be told that our soldiers did it within three weeks of something happening. It's too much so. It's too much so. You can be elevated to a degree, but if the suffering just goes on and on and on, if all you ever do is spend your life in a shiver house, it's too much so. And we're allowed to talk to God about this. We're allowed to turn to God and say, it's too much so. And now see what he says. It's the first time that Peter Cessna spoke since his, his, his son was killed and his daughter-in-law. Why was, why was Sarah's death juxtaposed to the Akedah? I'm going to tell you what he says, and then very, very different to me to watch along. The says the Rebbe says, I don't know that it's Peshat, it's just the message. He said, Sarah made herself die. Because she wanted God to know that it's too much sin. It's too much sin. It's just too much sin. For future generations, she, she wasn't meant to die. That's what he said. She made herself die. Because she wanted to act as a son of God. This is it's too much. This is myself. This is going to happen in every generation. Jews are going to be shafted in every generation. This is too much soul. Hainu, when they rush, I'm sorry. Hainu, she Moshe Rabbeinu, Raya Mehemna, Samach Mitat Sarah, Akedat, Yitzchak, Kedai, over the page, Kedai. Kedai, Lam, it's Tov, Adenu, Lahalot, Shalidei, Yisurim, Chas, Vachalim, Yotem, Midai, Mana, Aser. We get too much Yisurim, what are we going to do? Like, how much can we do? How much can we, how much? How much can it be? How much does our people have to go through? You know, you ask a kid today, what will happen when Mashiach comes? They say, there'll be Shalom. Australia has Shalom. Canada has Shalom. There's such Sadiqim. There's such Sadiqim. We have to wait for Mashiach to get Shalom. Just Shalom. Just to live here in peace. There's such Sadiqim in the United States of America. No one sins there. In England, in Israel, we have to pray for Shalom. Why does it have to be that way? Sarah was saying, if I cannot deal with these Yisurim, the regular Jews can definitely not deal with them. He wasn't even killed. It's just a trauma. A trauma after trauma after trauma. It's just too much melach. When I found out about Pedaya's death at about 6.09 in the morning, my brother-in-law sent a text, but no one was up. I just came back from shore. No one was up. That's why I didn't come in last Wednesday, because I, I wanted to tell them. So the first thing I asked the family was not to not to write WhatsApps. 
So I didn't want my kids to see this through water. And my wife was running and she came back and I told her to sit down and I, I told her what happened. And she, she laughed. She said, it can't be true. How can that be? Four people in the same family. How can that be? And then she kind of turned to God and she said, what's going on? Four people in the same family? It's a family of 11 children, 10, 11 children, right? They go to the shiva, there's still Hashem, a lot of children and grandchildren. And the father was such an incredible guy. And see what he says in the next paragraph. It's what he says. She, she died. She made herself die. We can't suffer so much. We can't suffer so much. It can't go on forever. It's like Paul forget in the Tivot Shalom that she died in her time and it was a test of Abraham. He said, No, she made herself die to show Akunish Baruchu that it's too much salt. It's too much salt. And even, even though he didn't die, then it's what we're going to do with our boys. They'll come back after what they've seen, the animals they've seen in Gaza. People standing in front of you and firing a missile in your face. What are we going to do with our children? How are we going to be able to They'll come back. How are we going to bring them up? They're like you, what they've seen, what we've seen. You're telling me the children from the last war who are part of from the army because they're so traumatized by what they saw. This is face-to-face -face combat, you understand. It's not planes dropping. The boys in Gaza are face-to-face -face with chayot. So Mali Katli Kulim, Mali Katli Paga. So you kill them half, you kill them whole. You'll tell me that I'm Melach. So you would think that this is such a complex piece that he's saying. You would think that she sinned because she gave up her life to make this point to God. So the Pasuk says she didn't sin. It's not considered a sin because she went to the Sangir al Am Israel. What a way to learn the Pesukim. And you, you understand. Now, what I meant, what, what I, I know this pshat. There's a massive chidoshi. You have a chassidish rebbe lady. So he didn't leave Judaism. He died saying Shema Yisrael. And there are other there are other drushes that he gives talking about the closeness of a Jew with Hakadosh Baruch Hu and how close we are to Hakadosh Baruch Hu and to never give up in our faith of Hakadosh Baruch Hu right to the end. You see the MS of a chassidish rebbe. He's just turning around to God. So in front of his chassidim, he's saying, you've got to believe, you've got to believe. And every so often he turns around to God and he says, I know you know what you're doing. I've got no idea. I've got no idea. It just nothing makes any sense. So we carry on believing. Nothing makes any sense here. They lie and they lie and they lie in people's faces on television cameras, and the world laps it up like it was Mr. True speaking. It must be true, because Hamas said,
It must be true because Nasrallah said, Nasrallah had Sadika Gadola Gaon, who's never lied in his life. So he said that our soldiers killed our civilians. That must be true. And you're thinking, Ribono Shalom, I have to stand up and defend this? That the head of the United Nations says this happens? Not in a vacuum? The head of the United Nations? So what is the United Nations? Too much basar. We're not just dying. We have to hear this tripe, this garbage. It's such an incredibly important piece. We're allowed in our lives to turn to God and scream out. We don't question God's justice. We don't question that God knows what he's doing. But am I a big enough person to be able to to take it. It's an incredible comment. You'll tell me thy melech. It's too much melech. There's three such different interpretations. But there's another brilliant in, another brilliant comment that I, I have to give you. Not to finish on, on a sad note. It's not it's not sad, it's truth. I think that anyone if someone went to I've told you this before now in this context, someone went to the Balshentov, New Tzadik came to town. And they went to the Baal Shem Tov to try and check the, the legitimacy of the new tzaddik. And they went to the Baal Shem Tov and said, how do we know that he's a tzaddik? And the Baal Shem Tov said, go up to him and you ask him. If, ask him if he does with Kavana all the time. And if he says yes, you should know he's a fraud, he's a liar. Everyone, rabbis with beards, rabbis with pears, not just me, but me, if only me, just me. Okay, I'm in good company. You have a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch, you're allowed to turn around to HaKadosh Baruch, you're allowed to say, tell me that does that. Feels like Melach, it's too much Melach. I haven't slept in a month. I haven't slept in a month. It's a tiny little Melach. I'm allowed to turn to God. I believe in God. I believe that God knows what he's doing. I believe that what God is doing has a plan. I'm just a human being. I'm just a regular human being. How much more? We thought the Holocaust was God or my God. How much more? How much more? I don't say it as questioning. I believe it's full, but... My relationship has to involve my ability to turn to our Kurdish partnership. And I know he has an answer because I've read yours and I know the answers. It doesn't stop my emotion. It doesn't stop my feeling. Another soldier and another soldier and another soldier. So many mixed emotions that this, this piece by the piece says that, and just to be aware, historically speaking, he said this a month after it happened. This wasn't like a gut reaction two days after something happened. His son was killed Sukkot time. This is it's a month later, right? It's a month later in Parshas. He didn't say a word. This is his first Russia. So this is this is a tr it's a true emotion. It's a legitimate emotion in our relationship with our Kodesh Baruch Hu. We to turn to our Kodesh Baruch Hu. I know you know what you're doing. You've got no idea. I've got no idea what you're doing. 
no idea. These people that we're reliving, we're reliving Tanakh with Haman and Parodan, each generation again and again and again. I want to finish with what I started with in announcements. There is another midrash at the beginning of, of this parsha that talks about, uh, it's a very strange midrash. The midrash says that Rabbi Akiva was Yoshev Doresh. He was doing a drasha. And the Hebrew were falling asleep. He wanted to wake them up. So he said the following sentence. He said, Why was Esther merited to rule over 127 countries? So the, the great-granddaughter, she's much more than the great-granddaughter of Sarah, who lived 127 years. That's a drasha. Rabbi Akiva wanted to wake the people up, so he said, in our, in our words, or in my words, he said, Esther ruled over 127 provinces because Sarah lived for 127 years. What in heaven's name does that mean? What does that mean? Because the 227s, that's it, the 100, So the Chidush Arim, you know who the Chidush Arim is, the, is the Gera Rebbe, the first Gera Rebbe. He was a Talmud Muvhag, Talmud Chaver, the Koska, Chidush Arim. You went to go, you went to go, so you were by the Chidush Arim and Svatemet together, right? It's a beautiful little. Oh hell, you could live there really, you could live there in the oh hell. And um, so the Chidush Yarim says like this. Uh, he asked the question, Kacha, who would fall asleep in the drasha of Rabbi Akiva? Mainly you fall asleep in mine. Can you imagine tonight's guest, Tuesday night, we don't have YU, we don't have Eitan and Lital, Rabbi Akiva's coming! I think you turn up, right? You turn up for that. I mean, it's an option. It's optional. But Rabbi Akiva's coming. So you imagine coming in and Rabbi Akiva's coming to talk to you. Rabbi Akiva's coming to talk to you. And you start... So he says, what does the Midrash mean? People were falling asleep. Listen listen carefully. What a, what a vault. Rabbi Akiva, they weren't falling asleep in his drash. says they were falling asleep in their lives. They weren't living their lives. Days were passing, months were passing, years were passing, and they weren't doing anything. Rabbi Akiva saw the people around him were falling asleep in their lives. He wanted to wake them up. So what did he say? He said, if Esther ruled over 127 provinces and Sarah lived 127 years, that means a year equals a province. If a year equals a province... That means a month is a town. If a month is a town, that means a street is a week. If a street is a week, then a house is a day. You don't smash houses down, don't smash your days. 
don't waste your days. He says, you don't waste physical assets. You don't waste your life. That's what the Chidush Yarim said. Every, if, if, you're, if you understand that comparison between buildings to years, then understand that in the same way that you would not in any way be negligent with a building, do not be negligent with your time. I can't say it enough. I said to myself much more than I said to you. Time is not money. Time goes. It doesn't come back. Money goes and it comes back and it goes and it comes back. There are ups and downs. Time, ladies, only ever goes. There is a poem which is written on the wall of the Shulin Tikachin. And the poem says like this, Adam Doeg Aldamav, a person worries about his money, Ve'eno Doeg Aliamav, and doesn't worry about his life. Damav Enam Ozrim, the money doesn't help, Ve'yamav Enam Chozrim, and the days never come back. It's just by the Tzedakah box in Tikachin. It's a very, I thought it was in Benesra, but it might be someone else who wrote that. It's something that, that, that Shnei Chaye Sarah comes up at the beginning and Avram Babi Amim comes on later on. What does Abraham Babi Amim mean? It means when Abraham died, he brought every day with him. Every single day of his life, he lived. Every single moment of his life, he lived. That should be a bracha for us ladies, that we are ba'im b'yamim, that we come with our days, that, that there isn't a day wasted, you can't write off a day, you can't cross off a day. Every day has its value, every day has its purpose. 127 promises, 127 years. Shnei Sarah, she lived a full life. To live a full life means that you don't waste a minute. It's intense, sure, it's intense. I'll finish with something that one of my rabbis said to me. He died a young man. You know, Emmanuel Bersi was here a few weeks ago. His father is my rabbi. He came as a guest speaker, Rabbi Emmanuel Bersi. Father died, 56 his father was. He was my son's, my son's named after my son. His chak is named after him. And I once, I used to come to Shir early because I used to be able to get Divrei Torah from him. So I used to come to Shir early. He used to sit at the desk and get his notes together. I used to sit and driving crazy with Shilohs and questions and very opinionated. He was like an Irish, very opinionated. He had something to say about everything. And um, it was Pesach Sheni. My mum's going to finish with this. It was Pesach Sheni. And in Pesach Sheni is in Pasha Balotcha. And he turned around and he said, David, I'll tell you something. He said, you can... Um... He said, anything you could do in life, you can do twice. If you fail your driving test, you can do it again. Some people do it a few times. So if you fail an exam, you can do it again. People sometimes, they, they get married a second time. And then he, said, he turned to me and he said, there's one thing you can't do twice in life. Life itself. You cannot do life twice. This is it. Today is today, 6.36 and 20 seconds will never ever be again. It's gone. The present is a flick of the eye. So we have to know how to use our time. 
Okay. Thank you. <laughs>